Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a man who is no longer spending his days making many calls and having many meetings to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. The logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the argumentum ad lunum, also known as appeal to the moon. I say we, but I'm going to have to leave you in the capable hands of Jim flying solo with the help from one or two others in a have I got news for you kind of way for the next several episodes. The work I'm currently doing means there'd be a conflict of policies in doing this, especially at the moment, but I'll be back to join in the fun again when this period is over. Meanwhile then, I'll hand you back over to Jim to explain argumentum ad lunum. So this is a pretty simple fallacy, really. The appeal to the moon, argumentum ad lunum, is using that common thing that people say, if we can put a man on the moon, why can't we do this? Or indeed, as in our first example from Trump, since we can put a man on the moon, we can do anything. We can do this other thing. If we can put a man on the moon, dig out the Panama Canal and win two world wars, then I have no doubt that we as a nation can provide school choice to every disadvantaged child in America. So this is a kind of very specific um, false equivalence because it's it's comparing two things which are really not the same thing at all and saying, well, you know, we can do one thing uh, which is really hard. This is another thing which is really hard and therefore we can do that too. And it doesn't have to be the moon. Uh, Trump just said the, the Panama Canal winning two world wars, which, uh, you know, Britain would like a word about whether they helped in the world wars winning but anyway the the fact that it's it's often the moon and that's the kind of classical one for argumentum ad lunum is is just a a proxy for we've done one really difficult thing therefore there's nothing we can't do or we can do other really difficult things and and the point is that those things aren't the same the problems that you need to overcome to solve one problem um isn't the same as the problems you need to overcome to solve other problems. And just because you've managed to solve one problem, even if it was a really hard problem, that doesn't mean that you can suddenly solve other problems. In fact, there was an essay written in 1971 called The Moon and the Ghetto by a professor of economics at Columbia University called Richard Nelson, where he made this exact point, basically, that, that people say, for example, at the time, and this was only a couple of years after men had landed on the moon, were saying, you know, surely we can solve the problem of the ghetto. We can solve poverty because we've we've put a man on the moon so we can do anything, you know, that we can we can. And you can kind of see the logic. You can see people saying uh, we if we really put our mind to something, if we put a lot of resources and money and effort behind something and uh, a lot of personnel we can solve these problems and to some extent that's probably true for some problems and certainly a lot of problems in society would be a lot easier to solve or a lot you'd get a lot closer to a solution if you were prepared to focus on it in the same way and put a lot of resources and a lot of money and a lot of people behind it. But the argument that Richard Nelson made was that these solutions for, um, for example, sending men to the moon are geared to challenges that have very well-defined problems and um, like a, a very clear end goal in that case was to get a man on the moon. And, and even the ways to get to the moon were restricted to certain things. You you basically pretty much definitely needed a rocket. <laughs> that rocket had to do specific jobs. It had to leave the Earth's atmosphere. It had to be able to get to the moon. You needed to solve the math problems of landing on the moon, um, you know, aiming it correctly, basically, and being able to guide it to the moon. You needed to be able to then get off the moon and ideally, although not necessarily, get your astronauts back to Earth. 
there there are a specific uh, and very well defined set of goals that you need to achieve to 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 solve that problem then when you look at something like poverty or climate change they are much more complicated problems solving poverty or solving climate change or mitigating climate change they are they are problems that involve a lot of people doing a lot of different things that you have to convince them to do differently or figure out ways to mitigate the things they're doing uh, and there's a huge number of stakeholders of interests of levels of institution whether it's government or industry or different things and there is um unlikely to be a single solution that everyone agrees on so it's not the same kind of problem to say in Trump's case you know school's choice for for every child in America there's going to be competing problems from different groups who who think that school choice even if everyone agrees it is a, you know an, an unmitigatedly good thing um and and a thing that we should all be aiming towards uh with with focus and resources they they're not necessarily going to agree on the the same ways of achieving it or overcoming all of the obstacles in the same way so it isn't a thing where you have a a a well defined set of goals especially in the case of landing a man on the moon which you you then give those goals to a particular agency and say it is now your job to do this and you have the resources you need to be able to do it and those people within that agency can can work together and there there were a lot of problems that they needed to overcome but they were given a lot of uh, leeway to be able to overcome it in the way that they needed to do and so simply suggesting that it is the same thing or or that 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 we achieved this one difficult thing therefore we can achieve this other difficult thing is is not a logical progression and it's something which uh, as in every case where we talk about things on this podcast it's not just trump by any means uh, in fact here's an example of um a, a politician from longer ago doing it if we can put a man on the moon we can find ways to heat and light our homes and our industries and now is the time i think for marks british politics corner so i don't have a clip for this week for marks british politics corner but uh, that is because the thing that i want to point to as an example is actually an entire article written by boris johnson in the telegraph before he became prime minister in fact i think it was the, about the week before he became prime minister where he was talking about the moon landing because it was uh, 50, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing at that point um as an analogy for brexit and he was using it specifically to say all of these people who are pessimists about how difficult brexit is going to be we we landed on the moon he talked about um kind of the the computer code being being kind of written in kind of a, a software that is a that is hardware in some way and like it called it hand knitted computer code and and all of the obstacles that they had to overcome and said it, it is absurd that we have even allowed ourselves to be momentarily delayed by these technical issues of the the um Irish backstop and the the free trade agreement um if they could use hand knitted computer code to make a frictionless reentry to earth's atmosphere in 1969 we can solve the problem of frictionless trade at the northern irish border well apart from the fact that the reentry in 1969 was very far from frictionless in fact friction was extremely important in that to to slow down the reentry module essentially it was going i think 17 and a half thousand miles an hour as it entered the earth's atmosphere and if it hadn't have slowed down it would have smashed into the sea and killed the the astronauts aboard so they were aware that there would be plenty of friction and used it to their advantage there was a massive heat shield that was designed to burn off basically um in the in the heat of the the pressure that was caused by the kind of build up of, of air in front of the module as it as it forced its way through the atmosphere um the the friction was part of getting the the module down and not only that but but 400,000 people worked on the Apollo program and it cost a quarter of a trillion US dollars for almost 10 years so saying that oh we just, we put a man on the moon when the, the Brits didn't even do it it was the Americans who did it but but saying we 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 put a man on the moon therefore 
um, we can solve this little problem with the Northern Irish border. Um, there, there was nowhere near the personnel or the, the resources or the time. And the problem was, uh, in my view at least, and I think I've probably said this before on the podcast, a completely intractable problem. It was a, the, the Northern Irish border, which still has not been solved. They have, they we have brexited now, and they have done some kind of weird, fudged version of the border, which which isn't a it isn't a border. We have a we have essentially a, a, a customs border in the in the Northern Irish Sea. It doesn't solve the problems. They didn't they didn't solve the problem of having the Northern Ireland still be completely a part of the UK. The Northern Northern Ireland, for customs purposes, is essentially still part of the EU, and not having a hard border in Ireland. You can't both keep Northern Ireland in the UK and out of the EU, and Southern Ireland in the EU and not have a hard border between them. You can't have a that. It's an impossible problem to solve, so they haven't solved it. And and everyone knew at the time that Boris Johnson was saying this, that it really, there isn't a solution to that problem. So simply saying, well, you know, this is difficult, but we've done much more difficult things as a race, as a human race. We we have solved harder problems and therefore this is fine. It's It wasn't a harder problem in the sense that there was a solution. There were clear goals and a clear route to getting there it was just something that required a significant amount of input and um, work and resources to to make it happen whereas they haven't made this happen they haven't they haven't solved the northern irish border and this was uh, the, the article was july 2019 so by trying to make that analogy he he showed that he didn't really understand either the moon landing or the problems of the northern irish border I'm flying to the moon and back I know it sounds absurd Let me hide the truth behind Convincing sounding words It's a fallacy In the wild In other words A wild fallacy Sinatra there with Fly Me to the Moon. So in The Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And this week, our first example is from the... Well, it's from the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Um, I'd like to set it up in some way that doesn't just... I mean, it's, it's a terrible, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible film. It's a horrible, like, abomination of a film. But this example uh, comes when Anthony Newley, who must have had some reason for being in this film um it, it comes back into his his shop and finds that the garbage pail kids have escaped from the garbage pail and he wants to get them back in they refuse so he says he'll have to use magic i want the tooth of a crocodile a bottle of english fog captain the hair of a goat the shadow of your smile captain we can't get that stuff anymore <laughs> that's 20th century progress for you we can put a man on the moon, but we can't find a few simple ingredients to do a magic trick. Yeah, we can we can put a man on the moon, but we can't find these ingredients for the magical trick that he wants to do to get the garbage pail kids back in the garbage pail. Um, and yeah, I'm going to leave it there, really, for that that film. It doesn't it doesn't deserve to be dwelt on for any longer. Our second example is from Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and this is an example that doesn't actually invoke. The moon. This is a situation where Scott and his band are they're in a battle of the bands, they are up against a a seemingly much better band, and his bandmate starts to have a kind of panic attack saying he you know he, he can't do it. Um to to get to this point, Scott has uh, had to kind of cope with the fact that he's having romantic problems and decide to, to get on stage and take part anyway. We shouldn't even be here. Come on, man. I put my problems aside for the music. If I can do that, we can do anything. The fact that Scott has put aside the fact that he's trying to deal with a, a kind of potential girlfriend who has multiple evil exes who all want to kill him so that they can perform 
is something which was hard for him to do. But the fact that he has been able to do it doesn't mean that they can necessarily beat the other band that they're competing against in this Battle of the Bands. Those two things are not the same. They they may both be difficult things, but the fact that you can do one difficult thing doesn't mean you can do another difficult thing. And a similar example happened in the very weird alternative universe version of Bug's Life that was Ants, that was uh, a, an animated feature film with, with Ants voiced by people like Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone. we got to help each other get out of here before we all drown. How? By making a ladder. A ladder? Hey, if we built this, we can do anything. So the ants, by this point in the film, have built an impressive tunnel system, which is pretty much what ants do. Uh, but just because they've done that doesn't mean that they can build a ladder of ants to get themselves out of the tunnel system, which is now being flooded by the meaner ants. The, the things that they're talking about as as this is a difficult thing we did and this is a difficult thing we have to do, if those don't involve the same skill sets, the same resources, then it doesn't mean just because you've done one difficult thing you can do another difficult thing. Our final example in this section is kind of a, a meta example where it refers to this uh, as a concept and this is from an episode of Seinfeld. It is my opinion that we never should have landed a man on the moon. It's a mistake. Now everything is compared to that one accomplishment. Now goes, I can't believe they can land a man on the moon and taste my coffee. I think we all would have been a lot happier if we hadn't landed a man on the moon. Then we go, they can't make a prescription bottle top that's easy to open. I'm not surprised they couldn't land a man on the moon. Things make perfect sense to me now. Neil Armstrong should have said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for every whining, complaining SOB on the face of the earth. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up. And this week, Frank has to figure out which one is fake news. Frank, welcome back. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well this week. I think I've got my technique sorted out, so I'm ready. Okay, ready. excellent. So uh, the, there is a kind of a theme this week it is um, basically that trump often likes to say that some people call something names different to what he calls it or different to what they actually call it and there's just kind of it runs through these examples but they're all from uh, quite a while ago although well last year and, and before oh, okay well, it feels like a while ago <laughs> yeah first one joe biden will deliver a crippling shutdown he's actually thinking about can you no we did that and we saved millions of lives that's it we're doing good now. And by the way, your governor is doing a good job. Florida is down low now in the China virus. It's a China virus. Some people call it coronavirus. That sounds like a beautiful place in Italy, right? Didn't come from Italy. It came from China. But this guy is talking. He'll shut it down. The scientist says shut it down. We shut it down. No, we're not shutting anything down. What? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That might be my favourite so far. What okay. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Statement number two. We've done an incredible job. Incredible. In Europe, they're having a lot of problems right now. A lot worse problems than us. I spoke to the King of Finland. He's the President of Finland. Some people call him the King. I call him the President. He's a good friend of mine. He likes me a lot. And he said they don't know what they're doing in Europe. And they look at us and they say, they all say what a tremendous job we've done. They can't believe it. It's true. <laughs> I call him the President. We're on first name terms. <laughs> Statement number three. So I have great respect for the UK, United Kingdom, great respect. People call it Britain. They call it Great Britain. They call it, they used to call it England, different parts, but the UK, great respect. And I was asked to have tea with the Queen, who's incredible, by the way, incredible. So I was hearing, I'd landed and I'm on the grounds and I'm waiting with the Kings and with the Queen's guards, wonderful people. I'm waiting. So I was about 15 minutes early and I'm waiting with my wife and that's fine. Hey, it's the Queen, right? We can wait. Fantastic. I am immediately transported back to those images of <laughs> him just storming ahead of the Queen when he did visit, uh -huh. just like a wayward toddler. Right. Well, I said last time I was on that the most ridiculous one, I'm just going to assume, was real. Um, I think that might be the key. I mean, the key is obviously just knowing things he says, but... I am going to go with number one is real. And number two, I just love so much. And I think, oh, goodness me. But, okay, I'm, 
number three I'm also thinking was real. <laughs> this happened. <laughs> Mostly because I just remember when that one time he did visit the Queen, everyone was like, dude, what are you doing? And so, and he's so oblivious to it. My favourite part is they used to call it England, different parts. Oh, goodness me. Every week I'm so pumped and then every week I'm like, <laughs> dude, I have no idea. Okay, I'm going to go with one is real and... I'm going to go with two is real and three is fake. Okay. So out of one and two, which are you more convinced by? One. Okay. Well, number one is real. Joe Biden will deliver a crippling shutdown. He's actually thinking about, can you imagine? No, we did that. And we saved millions of lives. That's it. We're doing good now. And by the way, your governor's done a great job. Florida is down low now in the... China virus. It's China virus. Some people call it coronavirus. That sounds like a beautiful place in Italy, right? No, it didn't come from Italy. It came from China. But this guy's talking. He'll shut it down. A big scientist says, shut it down. He'll shut it down. No, we're not shutting anything down. <laughs> oh, my. It doesn't sound so, like a beautiful place in Italy at all. No. I think the, the, why, why he said that was... This is a joke. He has these kind of repeated jokes that he uses at the rallies. Right. And and he, for, for a, a couple of weeks before this, had been saying that Corona sounds like a beautiful place in Italy, uh, which I can, you can kind of understand. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but he just kind of stumbled into this one and, <laughs> and said coronavirus and then said that sounds like a beautiful place in Italy, which it doesn't at all. <laughs> no. Fantastic. <laughs> Goodness me. So, well. yeah, he did say that. Uh, so you also think number two is real, and number two is fake news. No! Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> bastard man. Okay, sorry. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. The president so, of Finland. Goodness. Yeah. He had some fun when the president of Finland came to, to visit. Um, and, yeah, because first of all, he couldn't say his name, because he, <laughs> he'd, he'd never... I guess he'd seen it written down. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> he doesn't read his stuff in advance, no, and it's exactly. a quite and it's it's finished. Finish, yeah. So it's it's near Nista, which is quite tricky if you just looking at it written down. But obviously he hadn't. No one had said. By the way, this is the president of Finland's name. So yeah, that was good. Wow. Uh, but no, as far as I know, he has he doesn't he didn't call him the king of Finland at any point. So oh, God, I okay. wish he did. That's so good. Uh, but he did say number three. I have great respect for the UK, United Kingdom. Great respect. People call it Britain. They call it Great Britain. They call it, they used to call it England, different parts. But the UK, great respect. And I was asked to have tea with the Queen, who is incredible, by the way. Incredible. So... I was hearing, I had landed, and I'm on the grounds, and I'm waiting with the kings and with the queen's guards. Wonderful people, I'm waiting. So I was about 15 minutes early, and I'm waiting with my wife, and that's fine. Hey, it's the queen, right? We can wait. <laughs> Brilliant. So I enjoyed yeah. the very hesitant, <laughs> confused applause from the, from the crowd. <laughs> when he said to have tea with the queen, they were like, do we support okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean i i have to say i can't really blame any american for not understanding the difference between the united kingdom great britain britain yeah. and england and i mean it is confusing it is, it is it's if you're the president arguably maybe you should look it up yeah it's like <laughs> you a, know that kind of thing or like somebody yeah. should have briefed him for like two minutes you know show him like yeah. a crayon map or something you know yeah or like a venn diagram if he could handle that but there we are sure um <laughs> but but the thing that is is not acceptable here apart from the fact that i mean he he did he wasn't 15 minutes early there is there is copious <laughs> video footage of the queen waiting in the sun for him yeah before he he was about 15 minutes late and this was what this rant was about he was complaining about fake news and about the you know even the british press uh, are at it and saying that he was late he was there's there's footage of the queen just standing there waiting for him and then eventually his his limo pulling up oh my goodness. yeah he was definitely late he was not standing waiting for the queen so 
terrible, terrible man. I mean, but, which means unfortunately that you um are still yet to score. Yeah, fake news. I can't believe. Well, I can believe it because you're very good at this. But <laughs> I just, it's every time it's such a kick in the teeth. But I can't, <laughs> I can't blame you for it because they're excellent. Um, just one day, one day I'll get it. I felt so yeah. confident this time. And it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Inauguration is Not a Logical Fallacy because, yay, Joe Biden is now the president and Trump left. And uh, all of the people who uh, believed in QAnon and gave their energy towards pushing QAnon and and working out what the message was and what the plan was, uh, they, they have been left... Um, unsure what was going on because a number of them at least were absolutely convinced even up to the 20th of January that as soon as Biden stepped onto that stage Trump was somehow going to um, invoke martial law and have him arrested and Trump would be the, the still the president and and that didn't obviously happen Trump left uh, at 8am from the White House and and gave a kind of fa- final address on the um, tarmac at Joint Base Andrews before he boarded Air Force One for the for the last time, and uh, and headed to Florida, and um, yeah, didn't didn't go to the inauguration, which is a good thing, frankly. I mean, it's yes, it's petty. Yes, he's the first president to snub their successors inauguration since I believe Andrew Johnson who was also impeached but not twice Uh, but it's a good thing because if he had gone he would have just he would have done whatever he could to to kind of get some attention he would have had a tantrum or he would have he would have stolen some of the um the the limelight uh frankly when I got married many years ago now we said no kids at our um, wedding ceremony because we'd been to a few weddings where kids were allowed and uh it, it, they kind of had a tendency to ruin the occasion in a way they were you know screaming or making noise or whatever almost none of my friends and relatives had kids anyway so it wasn't that big a deal but but it did mean that we were guaranteed that our our wedding ceremony would not be interfered with by screaming children so i think in this case, Biden was probably quite pleased that Trump didn't go. It was a great ceremony. It was a, There was great entertainment. And the fact that people couldn't go to attend in person, um, because obviously because of COVID, um, meant that there was a lot of different types of things. And instead of kind of inauguration balls, which... You know, we might have seen President Biden and and the First Lady kind of do a do a dance and then cut away and talk about other stuff. Instead, there was entertainment essentially throughout the day televised for the American people, which was really nice. It was a stunning occasion. It was amazingly well run. It went basically without any kind of hitches at all. First of all. Obviously, everyone arrived. Everyone looked really good. A lot of monochrome outfits. Uh, Jill Biden in some kind of teal coat and, and outfit. Uh, Kamala Harris in purple. Uh, Michelle Obama looked fantastic in a kind of burgundy maroon type outfit. It was very, very coordinated. Lots of strong colours and, and just everyone looked really good. Kamala Harris was, was sworn in at first, uh, which was just great she was sworn in by Sonia Sotomayor and everyone was really excited and and um Biden said yeah um immediately after and and then Biden was sworn in in fact a little bit early um about 12 minutes early he he completed his oath of office and then I did see a lot of things on Twitter from people saying but but Trump's still president until 12 o'clock you know I I thought it was supposed to be the constitution says 12 o'clock um but you know nothing important happened in between that and and 12 o'clock so it didn't really matter uh, the national anthem was sung by Lady Gaga. She was amazing. Um, Jennifer Lopez sang uh, This Land is Your Land and America the Beautiful and shouted, let's get loud at one point. Uh, 
and and Garth Brooks showed up to put to perform Amazing Grace and actually I mean I like Garth Brooks he was very good I, he's put on a lot of weight since the last time I saw him uh, so I was a bit surprised but he was he was good he got the the um, crowd there and asked people at home to kind of join in on the last verse it was very good very emotional um, and then the uh, nation's first ever youth poet laureate Amanda Gorman delivered a poem uh, for five minutes and it was absolutely stunning she is a 22 year old poet who started doing poetry uh, partly as i understand it to deal with a speech impediment that she had uh, she was inspired partly by biden to to kind of work on her her stutter and she said that she had problems um if she had been asked to perform this poem just even three years ago, she wouldn't have been able to do it. There were words in it that she would have struggled to be able to say. Uh, she performed it incredibly, and it was just an amazing poem. It was it was hopeful and optimistic while acknowledging all of the stuff that is going on and has gone on. I, I will put a link in the show notes to the video, and if you haven't already seen it, you should see it. If you've seen it, watch it again it's so amazing she she absolutely stood out for me um she was she blew me away in his speech one of the things that he focused on obviously was the fact that uh we need to fight things like white supremacy um he says a, a rise of political extremism white supremacy domestic terror terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat and hilariously in the in the ensuing days a lot of Republicans took that personally, which says a lot about them. Um, they, I think when someone says white supremacy is bad, racism is bad, and, and you say, I feel personally attacked, <laughs> I, I don't know if they realise how bad that looks. I mean, they don't seem to. Um, Karl Rove, Rand Paul, uh, Tucker Carlson all said, you know, how dare he say this stuff? Um, how dare he call us, you know, racists and white supremacists, which he he absolutely was not doing. He wasn't, he didn't go up there and say the Republican Party is full of racists. What he said was, we we really need to, to work on sorting out racism and and white supremacy. That's something we need to do something about. So, yeah, when you hear this, when you hear that and say, I, I feel attacked then that says something about you so after the ceremony biden got to work basically um i mean he he walked part of the inauguration parade he um laid a wreath at arlington to honor uh fallen soldiers and then he went to the white house and kamala harris swore in the three new democratic senators which gave the democrats control of the senate and uh biden started signing executive orders he signed, I think, 17 executive orders in his first day, as well as uh, memorandums and, and uh, directives to agencies. He re-entered the Paris Climate Accords. He overturned the um, movement to, to get out of the World Health Organization. In fact, the, the episode of op the Opening Arguments podcast from uh, Friday of last week covers everything he did on his first day, really kind of going into depth and explaining exactly what all of the uh, orders were. But basically a lot of them were uh, from the progressive side of the party. As a as a moderate, as a centrist going in, as everyone is kind of, you know, classifying Biden and was classifying him, the the um, the first steps that he, he took were very much in favour of equality, um representation and progressiveness so it's a it's a really good start and obviously all of the stuff that biden has been doing is a, is um not is against what the republicans would want they are uh, all of the executive orders uh, many of them are are striking down stuff that trump was trying to do and so obviously the republicans are saying well i thought i thought you wanted unity um, and yet all you're doing is stuff that's good for Democrats. And the excellent new uh, press secretary, Jen Psaki, was saying, well, you know, isn't 
isn't rolling out a coronavirus plan good for Republicans too? You know, aren't Republican voters anti-coronavirus? And is providing support and money for people who don't have enough money uh, not good for Republican voters? These are things which are which are good. But what the what the Republicans seem to want when they say unity is is things that appease them, things that that are not the kinds of things that Democrats do. Um, so of course, no, he's not going to do some demo, some Republican policies um he's a democrat and um even though he may be a moderate or centrist democrat he is he's not going to just suddenly start saying well yeah okay we'll we'll keep building the wall for unity because that's not unity in fact i think it was uh elizabeth warren who said how about we have unity by all being against white supremacy and armed insurrections let's let's unify against things like that which i think is a reasonable point Fauci appeared, Anthony Fauci, on on one of the press conferences, and uh, the press obviously asked him, you know, how is it now? How how was it before? Where you stopped from being able to say stuff, and and how uh, much easier is it going to be now? And he did kind of uh, at first he was a bit reluctant to kind of um, talk negatively about what he had had to do but but they kept asking him questions and eventually he said yeah it's kind of liberating to to know that i can come out here and say science stuff and and not have to worry about what's going to happen next and what and have to worry about whether i'm going to be told off for doing it he appeared recently uh, just this week on rachel meadow's show and said that he had wanted to appear on her show for for months and they'd been asking him to do it for months and and the, the government had blocked him he wasn't allowed to do it and they said you know why would you want to go on her show and uh, and now he's able to and he said i expect you will see a lot more transparency you'll see um people you know if a, if the media wants to interview someone they will probably be able to do that now they will you know there's not going to be as has happened, obviously, over the last four years, this this lack of transparency. And, and from the few uh, press briefings, in fact, daily press briefings that Jem Psaki has done since the inauguration, it has very much seemed like they are going for um, transparency. And, you know, obviously, there's it's possible that there's still stuff that they're not telling us. Um, in fact, very likely um, that that seem that tends to be a thing that governments do but it certainly does not seem to be the same as it was under trump uh she she seems to be very um professional she is i think christy swanson the the actress who played buffy in the original film version of buffy the vampire slayer and is now a scott bio level uh trumpist um pointed out that she says i'm a lot um, and that's about as bad as as anyone can say anything about her. She does. She's she is at the moment not extremely polished in her presentation style to the gathered press. Probably because she's thinking about what she says and doesn't just have talking points that she is required to get out there and and flannel when asked something that would be negative. So, I mean, she's come across excellently so far. Um, I have no reason to think that she won't continue to do so. As Inauguration Day wore on into the evening, there were some amazing musical numbers which were televised. And uh, the ones that stood out for me, I think, were John Legend singing Feeling Good in front of the uh, Lincoln Memorial, which was just, it was really very good indeed. And and Katy Perry, uh, who did Firework, and um, there was a firework show while she sang it and it was fucking amazing it was i mean london has a pretty good fireworks show every new year's eve and they 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 set it up for a long time and there's a lot of fireworks and it goes on for a for a while um but that i think has has it has never been as powerful or as uh, as just the sheer number of fireworks, I think, especially in the denouement of the of the display, 
as as the one in Washington on on the evening of uh, inauguration day. It was almost funny how many fireworks were going off all at once uh, towards the end of the display. Like they had they had some left and they needed to to get them done before the song finished. Um, but it was an amazing display, and for a lot of people was a real release the whole day was a was a very emotional experience and um a great thing to watch and just feel the kind of symbolic sigh of relief and return to some form of normalcy for america the the thing i i noticed especially in the uh the press conferences with jem psaki is that the the bar that trump left behind was so low that that it that anything that seems normal is now amazing and that's why that's why i think it felt uh, her press conferences have felt so good and the um the the news that has come from the the white house of of the executive orders and the the way that inauguration day was run and and everything has felt so amazing because because if it was just if it was just boring and normal and and not horrendous, then it was already a huge improvement on what was happening before. Um, but it seems to be being done well, and so that is incredible. <laughs> not only is it is it um, you know not bad, it seems to actually be positive. The, one of the the tweets I sent on on inauguration day was was welcome back America, and so that's how I'm going to leave this. Because it feels like you guys are finally on the right road again, and and well, welcome back. And I say that from a country that is uh, in need of a lot of work to get back onto the right road as well. I think so. So welcome back, and hopefully we can join you soon. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. We've talked many times on the show about how Trump is a stupid person's idea of a clever person and a weak man's idea of a strong man, but that went to an extreme last week when outgoing Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley appeared on Fox and host Bill Hemmer weirdly asked him if Trump felt emasculated by being banned from Twitter. It's a strange question, but the answer was even stranger. Look, I, I wouldn't say emasculated. I mean, if, if the most masculine person I think to ever hold the White House is the President of the United States. After struggling to clear images of Gidley saying things like, oh, Mr. Trump, you're so manly, out of my head, let's examine that. Even using Republicans' questionable definition of masculinity, I think a certain Theodore Roosevelt might just pip Trump to the post. In October 1912, as he was getting into his car to go and give a speech, he was shot in the chest. He coughed into his hand and decided that since he didn't cough up any blood, the bullet hadn't hit a lung, so he went and gave the speech anyway, starting by saying, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. It takes more than that to kill a bull moose. The bullet is in me now, so I cannot make a very long speech, but I will try my best. So he only talked for 84 minutes. But sure, Trump's a real man. In his last week in office, and unable to vent on Twitter, it appears that Trump took to being mean to everyone around him. Problem is that as the ship was clearly sinking, many rat publicans had already left, or at least moved out of earshot. The only ones who hadn't were Trump loyalists. Yet even that loyalty didn't protect them from the bitter orange tart. Melty-haired clown lawyer Rudy Giuliani, who on January 6th told the crowd to prepare for trial by combat, which of course was nothing to do with the direct incitement to use physical fight violence, but was a harmless quote from Game of Thrones apparently, was not exempt from Trump's petty revenges. The Washington Post and New York Times reported that Trump had instructed his staff not to pay Giuliani for his services or even his travel expenses, despite sending him around the country to appear in many courtrooms, touting nonsense and drunk witnesses in support of the electoral fraud conspiracy. Fair enough, I guess, since if you look at the fine print of the ad in the Mar-a-Lago gift shop window for Rudy Better Call Saul Giuliani's lawyering services, it clearly states, no win, no fee, scrawled across it with a big fat sharpie. Trump's final act of Yabu suckness was to fire the White House butler so no one was there to open the doors when Biden arrived to take occupancy. Cool, that Trump thinks of everything, eh? Well, except being a decent president, politician, TV personality, dictator, businessman, author, husband, parent, golfer, human being. 
Rudy's really going to miss that $20,000 a day he planned to charge Trump since Dominion Voting Systems has just sued him for $1.3 billion for, well, repeatedly and publicly defaming them. They cite more than 50 damaging and evidence-free statements made by Giuliani on Twitter, on his podcast, in the media, and point out that none of his court filings mention Dominion, seemingly proving that he knew his claims were false. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't buy that argument. Rudy made loads of claims he knew were false in his court filings. Giuliani has called the lawsuit another act of intimidation from the hate-filled left wing to wipe out the ability of lawyers to defend their clients vigorously. Honestly... After four seasons total landscaping, I don't think there was anyone left who believed that Rudy had that ability. Never let it be said that Trump is inconsistent. No sooner had he admonished Rudy for not being loyal enough because he hadn't won him a second term, he pardoned hitherto reviled sloppy Steve Bannon. See, he'd recently been saying that Trump should get to be head again and that Fauci and FBI Director Christopher Wray should lose theirs. In a deluge of 140 pardons and commutations in Trump's final hours, which alone must count for the most paperwork he's handled in four years, he bestowed sucker and clemency on more armed crooks, corrupt villains and jailed mobsters than we've seen since the Ant Hill mob in all the episodes of Wacky Races. Notable by their absence were Rudy, Julian Assange and Joe Exotic, who heartbreakingly had his lawyer send a limo to the prison gates ready to pick him up. Also absent are any and all of the Trump clan itself, Apparently, bestowing a pardon upon them would carry the implication of guilt and was deemed inadvisable. Yippee! It means they can still be hunted down and charged. Please don't disbar Rudy. He's now suitably pissed to be the perfect prosecuting lawyer. Even if Rudy had found himself on the list of pardons, chances are the ongoing and unprecedented incompetence of the Trump administration would have meant it didn't offer all that much protection after all. While Michael Flynn's pardon covered everything he could possibly have been charged for, more recent pardons, including those for Manafort, Roger Stone, Steve Bannon and others, have been significantly more narrow. In Manafort's case, the pardon only covered offences he'd been convicted for, which leaves the ten counts on which a jury hung in Virginia available to retry, which should be pretty easy since he admitted to those offences under oath as part of his plea agreement. Similarly, Bannon has only been pardoned for those offences he was specifically charged with in his pending case on defrauding Trump supporters out of wall money. Since prosecutors very rarely charge all the offences a person could be charged with in order to keep a case more simple for a jury, there are doubtless still plenty of ways Bannon could find himself in prison, including wire fraud and mail fraud. If there's one thing we should be thankful for about the past four years, it's that Trump was so bad at criming. Remember the early days of the three-word slogans that got Trump elected? including his promise to drain the swamp. Well, he actually went some way to doing that in 2017 when he signed an executive order effectively preventing ex-federal officials from capitalising on their connections with Capitol Hill. The order required executive branch appointees to sign a pledge that they would never work as registered foreign lobbyists and ban them from lobbying the federal agencies where they worked for five years after leaving the government. For a while there, it looked like Trump was really doing one of the things he said he'd do to stamp out corruption. We'll ignore the nepotistic appointment of Kushner to high office, pretend we didn't see him grant personal audiences with wealthy donors if they made wealthy donations, and look away from the Trump organization charging the government fees to host Trump presidential events at Trump properties. So apart from that, all good. Until the Tuesday before he left office, when he rescinded the executive order anyway, having not ever bothered to make it law, he just sharpied it off the books. And coincidentally, this all happened just as his cronies left the office with insider knowledge of various government departments who they might thus be able to consult for and in turn even send him a percentage of gratitude. Forget Rambo, I want a flag with Trump's swampy head pasted over the creature from the Black Lagoon. Now that Trump has gone, you may be wondering who can possibly step into his shoes of lies. And it's true. 30,573 lies in four years is an impressive total. Well, let me introduce you to 25-year-old freshman North Carolina congressman and winner of the whitest name competition six years running, Madison Cawthorn. Madison's story is one of overcoming hardship. At 18, he was planning on serving his country, having been nominated to the Naval Academy until tragedy struck and he was paralysed in a car accident. Not only did he rise to the challenge, he headed off to college and started training to compete in the 2020 Paralympic Games, all while running his own successful real estate business and running for Congress a race he ultimately won. That, at least, is the story you would glean from his campaign videos, his website, his social media and the interviews he's given. And the bit about becoming a congressman is 100% true. The truthiness of the rest of it is, well, Trumpian. 
Actually, he had been rejected by the Naval Academy before his car accident, and he then spent a single semester at Patrick Henry College in Virginia where he got mostly Ds before dropping out. As for the Paralympics, Cawthorne didn't compete at his college, which doesn't have a parasports programme, he doesn't appear to have competed in any qualifying races, and he doesn't appear on the International Paralympic Committee's register of athletes who are allowed to compete internationally. Basically, he's training for the Paralympics in the same way I'm hoping to win an Oscar. Oh, and his real estate business, which he started in April 2019, has posted no profits so far, and he is the only employee. So, don't be surprised if you start seeing Cawthorn 2032 signs all over the place pretty soon. Here on Virus Island, home to Airstrip 1, the government are getting slightly more certain about the need to at least consider the possibility that perhaps closing the borders to people coming in the country without a negative Covid test might be plausible. Though they are expending much more energy denying that the Home Secretary pretty smirky McSmirkface Patel had said that very thing a year ago. Similar efforts at denial are going into talking about whether the scientific designers of the one dose now and one dose in six weeks, 95% effective vaccines really meant it could actually be 12 weeks because that way more people could get the first dose and the government wouldn't look like it's cocking up the vaccine rollout as much as they have cocked up everything else so far. Smirky Patel also announced that there'd be heavy fines for gatherings of 15 or more partygoers in an effort to continue to find groups to blame for the growing spread, rather than the government itself for not taking back control of the borders that Brexit so dearly promised. Partygoers swiftly amended all their invitations to limit parties to 14. Now that the world has awoken from the Trump slumber and denounced him for the charlatan he is, we await the UK populace to do the same for our blonde idiot in chief's antics. Yeah, not holding my breath. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. I'd like to thank my guest presenter, Frank, and you can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com. And if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash ftrump. Just like our straw man level patrons, Kaz Tuhi, Schmutz, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by the outburst and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the dog. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>